0: as we are tackling and addressing some of the biggest questions that people ask about Christianity. And I know personally I love this series, not only because I love to study and I love to dig deep and kind of wade into those sorts of conversations, but I also know that as we as a church help people find and follow Jesus, there are going to be questions that come up as people think about whether they want to place their faith in Jesus and as they understand what following Jesus is all about. And the thing is, these questions people are asking, they're usually really good questions. And these are good questions to ask. If you're just here checking Christianity out, kind of looking into it and seeing if Christianity can, can hold water, or, or if, you, if you're seeing if, if Christianity can hold up to scrutiny, some of you here, maybe even today in this room, are here asking those sorts of questions. So let me affirm that this is the, this is the series that we want to have you at. And these are also good questions for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, because we want to know that our faith rests on a solid foundation that can address and respond to some of the big questions that are being asked about Christianity. So not only will this strengthen the foundation of the faith we believe in, but we know that as we sit in living rooms and talk with family members, as we sit in coffee shops and talk with friends, we know that these questions may be asked of us as well. So hopefully this series will give you some, some tools by which you can address the questions that you're asked throughout the week. So whatever the case, hear me say this, we encourage people to investigate Christianity. We never want to be afraid of asking big questions, even tough questions that come up. And so as as we ask these questions, the thing we want to keep in front of us is this. Here's our goal throughout this series. We want to show you that none of these questions has to keep us from believing in God. Instead, I think that as we ask these questions and as as we roll up our sleeves and do the work of seeing how Christianity responds to these questions, I think asking these questions and seeing the responses, they can actually build our faith in God. And they can strengthen the faith we have in Jesus. And so, so far we've looked at these questions. We've asked, isn't God just an angry God? We've asked, if I can trust the Bible, and and we've asked, why does a good God allow suffering? And in each of these, as we've looked at these over the last few weeks, we've seen how Christianity offers inviting, but also compelling answers to each of these questions. So if you've missed out on any of these, go online, give it a listen, and get caught up. I encourage you to do that. Next week, Jeff is asking a question that I'm sure many of you have been asked. Something like this, why all the hypocrisy among Christians? We know how real that question can be. And then this morning, the question we're asking is, is Jesus the only way? And then let me put a little bit of direction to that question. Because we're not asking if Jesus is the only way for you to get that trip to Hawaii you've been saving up for. We, We are asking very specifically... Is Jesus the only way to truly know God? Is Jesus the only way for us to be saved from our sins? Is Jesus the only way for us to experience the truest and fullest life for which we were designed? Is Jesus the only way? And when you look at it this way, you see how big and important this sort of question is. It's big because it deals with who Jesus is. And as we talk a lot about Jesus at Brookside, we need to know who Jesus is. We need to remind ourselves why following him and inviting others to follow him really is so important. Because the way we answer this question, it will absolutely shape the way you approach Jesus yourself, won't it? You see, if if we answer this question a certain way, then Jesus is just some convenient add-on that you can tack on to your life, but he's really not that important. But if Jesus really is the only way to truly know God, then he is the Lord that we need to build our lives around. The the way we answer this question will absolutely shape the way we tell others about Jesus. Is talking with others about Jesus just some kind of optional thing that we can do if we want to, but isn't really that important? Or is, is talking with others about Jesus, does it offer something so valuable that we can't not? talk with others about Jesus? Does it add urgency to the importance of telling others that we know about him? Or this question, is Jesus the only way? It's big because if the answer is yes, it challenges so much of what we hear in the culture around us about how moral and spiritual truth, about how all that stuff is just relative. It challenges current views of tolerance that defined tolerance not just as accepting others around us, but going a step further and affirming them and endorsing everything they believe, regardless of what they believe. So let's get right to it. Is Jesus the only way to truly know God? As we look at the Bible, as we read the Bible, the answer that we have to arrive at is yes. Now, now hear me say that very humbly, Hear me say that with all the care that I can muster, but Scripture is clear. Jesus is the only way to truly know God. We see Jesus himself saying this in John 14, 6. This is a verse we'll return to again and again today. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then if you're new to Christianity, if this is your first time here, maybe you think, Jesus, man, he just had some inflated ego. How could he say that? This isn't just Jesus saying this. Further on in our New Testament, we see another person, one of Jesus' followers, the apostle Peter, saying the same thing. Peter says, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name. He's talking about Jesus here. So he's referring to, there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then the Apostle Paul, maybe you've heard of him, he adds his voice into the chorus as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says, there is one God, one mediator between God and mankind. One mediator. The man, Christ Jesus. And so again, with with humility and with care, the conclusion is still clear. There is only one way to God, through Jesus. When some people hear this, Maybe when most people hear this today, the only words that come to mind when they hear stuff like this we've been looking at, the only stuff they hear is keep out. And suddenly they're, they're brought back to these elementary school days where they're not picked for the kickball team or where they're on the outside of the, cool, of the cool circle looking in. They only hear keep out. I remember when my wife Carrie and I were in Chicago living there while I was attending seminary. Uh, we attended, or we, we went into a restaurant and we had no idea how upscale this restaurant was. It, it had a dress code that we didn't know about, uh, it required reservations to get seated, which we didn't make, and it cost way too much money so we both would have ordered water and like an appetizer or something like that. But So, so when we got into this restaurant, the, the host that greeted us discerned pretty quickly <laughs> that we didn't fit the, the criteria for this restaurant, right? We weren't dressed right, we hadn't called ahead, we clearly didn't have enough money. And so the host was, was polite, but he let us know very quickly that we didn't belong there, that this wasn't the place for us. So I think we probably went down the road to Chipotle instead and had supper there and we're fine, you know. But, but the, this restaurant we went to, it was just too exclusive. The only thing we remember is just we didn't belong there, keep out. So when some people hear Jesus say that he's the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father except through him, that's all they hear. They just hear, keep out. The mental picture they get is this. If this is the mental picture you conjure up, when you hear Jesus say what we read Jesus say in John 14, 6, today my goal is to get you to take this picture, crumple it up, and throw it away. Because this isn't the right mental picture. This isn't the right way to process what Jesus is telling us in John 14, 6. And instead, I want to give you a very different mental picture, where Jesus is kind of extending his hand, saying, come with me if you want to live. That's my quote from the Terminator movies, now, this illustration kind of backfired on me a little bit because, like, I am officially old enough. I talked to a bunch of people this week that were like, we've never seen the Terminator movies, Tim. So, so the, the really condensed 30-second version of the Terminator movies are robots come from the future to kind of battle about the, the fate of the future in these Terminator movies. And in the movie I'm thinking of, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Terminator 2, is a good robot from the future, a good Terminator, come back, to rescue John and Sarah Connor from Bad Terminator, right? And so in this scene, Arnold Schwarzenegger is rescuing Sarah Connor from this institution that she's being held in against her will, and the Bad Terminator is there to get her as well. So Arnold Schwarzenegger reaches out his hand to Sarah Connor, he's rescuing her, and he just says to her, come with me if you want to live. It's a very narrow statement, isn't it? Come with me? If you want to live, who who is the Terminator to say something like this? You see, he can say this because the good Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, he really is the only one who can save John and Sarah Connor from the danger they're in. That The good Terminator really is the only one who can bring them to a place of protection and safety and refuge. And so this is how we should hear Jesus saying that he's the way, the truth, and the life. We should see him extending his hand to us and saying, Tim, come with me if you want to live. Yes, it's narrow, but that doesn't make it bad. Because Jesus really is the only one who can save us from our deepest and most pressing problem. Sin and separation from God. I say this as one who's experienced this. Jesus did this for me, saving me from my sin. And then bringing us, all who receive him, into the truest and fullest life for which we were designed. Jesus is the only one who can do this. So yes, it's narrow. And it is great news. I know that can be a big jump to make if our mental picture has been so so full of just this idea of keep out, going over here to this idea of come with me if you want to live. And so today my goal with the rest of my time up here is just to help us close that space and to move from keep out and to move over here to seeing what Jesus says, processing that through the lens of him holding his hand out to us and saying to each of us, Come with me if you want to live. I can't say strongly enough how important approaching what Jesus says here, seeing Jesus as the only way to truly know God, I can't stress how important it is to see it through this lens because this will absolutely influence the way we approach Jesus ourselves and our motivation to share him with others. So this topic is big, right? So we're going to approach it from two angles. First of all, what I want to do is I just want to come at it by by asking a few questions that are usually follow-up questions people ask of us when they hear that Christians believe that Jesus is the only way to truly know God. Here's the way these questions usually look. They go something like this. Aren't all religions basically the same? So how can you say that one way is right when, when at least the big level, aren't they saying the same thing? Another question, won't believing that Jesus is the only way, won't it lead to oppression and hostility towards those that don't believe? It's a good question. And then third question, won't believing that Jesus is the only way, won't it lead to feelings of arrogance by those who do believe? And so I I think that if we can diffuse and dismantle these sorts of questions, that can help us see That believing that Jesus is the only way, it isn't that outrageous of an idea. I want us to see that it makes sense, and I want us to see how to live in light of this truth as Christians. So so all of that is this first angle we're looking at this through. But then the, the second angle, the way I want to finish this time this morning, is we'll circle back around to what Jesus said in John 14, 6, and I want to end with our attention fully on him. So let's get into the three questions we're asking. Aren't all religions basically the same thing? And it's easy to ask this question in our religiously diverse world. We see people of different religions that we interact with at work, that we live next to and talk with over the fence, that are at our kids' sports games and things like that. We see them attending their religious services so faithfully. We see them trying to be good moral people. And so people understandably ask, Tim, how can you say, how can the New Testament say that one faith is right and the others are wrong? Again, aren't they all basically saying the same thing? Well, here's where, again, a caring tone is so important because, because listen to me here, because we certainly want to show respect to everyone regardless of what they believe. We want to do that. But once you start to look under the hood at any of these different religions, you start to realize that their teachings aren't all basically the same. You see, no one who follows any of the world's major religions would say that. Talk with a Hindu, talk with a Buddhist, talk with a Scientologist, talk with a Muslim, talk with a Christian. No one of those individuals would say, well, what we believe is basically the same as everybody else. Nobody is saying that. Basically, You you see, basically you can do research yourself that any one of you here can do that will show you that religions believe very different things about things that really do matter. Things like God, what's wrong with the world, and then how do we make that right? Where is the future headed? And these religions actually even contradict each other on multiple levels, because either Jesus is fully God and fully man, the second person of the Trinity, or he's not. Either either God is a personal being, or he's impersonal, like some Eastern religions believe. You can't have both. And so if all religions aren't saying the same thing, then then the best way forward and the most responsible way forward is just for us to compare and contrast what these different religions believe, because they all make truth claims. We can compare and contrast these two truth claims, and then our goal is to find the one that is consistently and coherently true. We're, we're trying to find the one that makes the best sense of the world around us. We're trying to find the one that offers the best framework for truly helping individuals, for truly helping us, but also the, the larger world in which we live. Now, I'm obviously convinced that Christianity best accounts for all of these things. But even if you're not there yet, at least let me invite you to study up and then see where your studies lead. But the thing we have to agree on is that all religions can't be right, and they're not basically saying the same thing. Second question, won't believing that Jesus is the only way, won't it lead to oppression, and hostility towards those who don't believe. And this one is fresh for us because we've got a very recent example of this. Just a few months ago, Senator Bernie Sanders expressed his concern over something that another Christian political leader, a guy by the name of Russell Vogt, had said that clearly landed Vote in the camp of believing that Jesus is the only way. And so in some fairly clear terms, Vote once wrote that those of another religion didn't know God because they rejected Jesus. And so as a vote, or as a Christian, Russell vote is just living consistently with what the New Testament says. But the thing I want you to listen to is how Bernie Sanders re- received this, how he saw it, his criticism of it. So here's a quote from Bernie Sanders. He says, in my view, the statement made by Mr. Vote is hateful. He said, This country, since its inception, has struggled, sometimes with great pain, to overcome discrimination in all its forms. We must not go backwards. Sanders' fear is clear, and I think it's a fear that's shared by so many in our culture. If Christians say that Jesus is the only way, then won't that lead to hate and discrimination? Just to pull two words from Bernie Sanders' quote. Won't it lead to injustice? Won't it lead to uh, oppression and hostility towards those who don't follow Jesus? So Brookside, here's where we need to have a face-to-face for a couple seconds. We need to make it very clear, very clear, that even as we maintain Everything we've said about, yes, Jesus is the only way to truly know God, we at the same time and just as quickly always follow that up with the, with, with the equally Christian teaching that every person is created in God's image, that every person deserves dignity, respect, compassion, care, and probably a thousand other things. We have to make it clear that the answer to this question won't believing that Jesus is the only way, won't it lead to hostility? The answer to this question is no. God's heart longs for those who don't know Him. God's heart longs for this, for, our, for all people to show love to each other. Timothy Keller is a guy who's helpful for me on this. He, he ministered at a church in the New York area for decades. New York, kind of this cultural epicenter. Lots of non-Christian skeptics that he interacted with. Lots of people from other religions. Listen to kind of how he sets things up for this. He's got a great book out called The Reason for God where, where he's basically setting up a quote. I'll pull up here in a second. But, but Timothy Keller, what he's talking about is he's talking about the first centuries of Christianity. How early Christians maintained this belief that Jesus is the only way to God. And at the same time, early Christians were the ones that stood apart, stood out, stood distinct as pursuing dignity, compassion, and care for others regardless of what they believed. Christians in the first centuries believed that Jesus is the only way and spent themselves in sacrificial service for others. That's the combination that we need to figure out, that we need to pursue. So, so all of that's kind of set up for this quote from Timothy Keller in his book, Reason for God. So, so why would such an exclusive belief system, this belief that Jesus is the only way to truly know God, why would this sort of belief system lead to behavior that was so open to others? So it was exclusive in saying Jesus is the only way to God, but it's so open to others, even others that are different than it. It was because Christians had within their belief system, within our belief system, the strongest possible resource for practicing sacrificial service, generosity, and peacemaking. And listen to this. At the very heart of the Christian view of reality was a man who died for his enemies. He didn't hate them. He didn't oppress them. He didn't discriminate against them. He died for them, is what the Bible tells us Jesus did for us. He prayed for their forgiveness. Reflection on this could only lead to a radically different way of dealing with those who are different from them. So so not dealing with them with oppression and hostility, but instead we deal with those who are different differently. We deal with those who are different with sacrificial service, with generosity, with peacemaking, with care, and with compassion. We need to hold ourselves to this, Brookside. Even as we maintain the belief that Jesus is the only way, we actively and intentionally show respect, care, and compassion to others around us, even if, even when, they believe very different things. One more question won't believe in that Jesus is the only way, won't it lead to, to feelings of arrogance by Christians? And this is really just the, the flip side of the question that we have been looking at, where even if people can concede and understand that following Jesus won't lead to hate or oppression of others, there's still this lingering feeling, well, won't it just make Christians a bunch of snobs then? They're looking down their noses at everyone else. Won't it lead to arrogance? And here's where I just want to draw our attention back to the gospel. The the thing that orients everything about what we believe at Brookside and in the organizing center of Christianity. Because understanding the gospel helps us respond to this question. You see, in a nutshell, the gospel makes it clear that all of us are sinners. That every one of us has sinned and we're separated from God because of that sin. And then on top of that, There's nothing we can do by ourselves or for ourselves to save ourselves. So that's hopeless. That's the the desperate part of our situation. But then the great news of the gospel is that God, entirely on his own initiative, stepped into this mess of our sin, and he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that way we could have a relationship with God And have the true life for which we were designed. This offer of salvation, it is entirely and only by God's grace through faith in Jesus. And so so with that understanding of the gospel behind us, with with that as a foundation, we can never say anything with arrogance or self-righteousness. Because the gospel has nothing to do with what we do The gospel has everything to do with what Jesus has done for us while we were unable and unworthy. If you're hearing this sort of stuff for the first time, this is revolutionary. I mean, this sort of understanding of the gospel, what Jesus has done for you, for us, this is how we say so confidently that the, that the way we approach what Jesus is saying in John 14, 6 isn't keep out. This understanding of the gospel is how, we're saying, is how we're saying that Jesus is saying, come live. Come to me if you want to find life. The Apostle Paul has such a great picture of us understanding that the gospel never leads to arrogance, but should instead lead to this radical Humility. So the Apostle Paul is someone that was as convinced as any of us that Jesus really was the only way to, tr- to truly know God. He spent himself on mission telling others about Jesus because he believed that Jesus is the only way. But, but with that in mind, look at what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. There's no arrogance there. That's humility. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. And so there's no hint of arrogance. Paul knows what we need to know. To believe Jesus as the only way leaves zero room for arrogance. The right response is gratitude and humility. All right, so so up to now we've been focusing largely on the second half of John 14, 6, where we've kind of been, been asking questions about what Jesus says when he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. We've seen now that that this kind of makes sense for there to be only one right way, and and we've seen how to live this out as Christians. But what I want to do with the rest of our time is I just want to circle back around now to, to the first part of that statement. Draw us back to seeing Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Because it's here in that first half of John 14, 6, that we see so much of what Jesus offers and why knowing him is so valuable. See, knowing Jesus, it shows us the way. And so we're not left to guesswork about how we can know God. We're not left to all these questions about, am I doing enough or am I doing the right things as I, as I consider eternity? Jesus is the way. What that means for us is that we can have tremendous, biblically informed, Confidence. We can have hope. We can have assurance that we can know God through Jesus Christ, who is Himself God. Knowing Jesus, it offers truth. You see, we can know confidently who God is. We can know confidently what God is up to. And we can know confidently what that means for us and how we're supposed to live. And so this truth frees us up to live the way we're designed to live, which is the best way to live. And that brings us right to Jesus saying that he is the life. He is true life where you know you're valued, where you have hope, where you have peace, meaning, and tremendous purpose. That's the life that Jesus offers. I love how Jesus himself says this in John 10, 10. Just a few chapters before what he says here. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So we always say this at Brookside, the life Jesus offers isn't some small life. It's the fullest, best life that we were designed to live. So is Jesus the only way to truly know God? The answer we've seen this morning is yes. But now hopefully you've also seen why the tone of all of this teaching isn't keep out the tone of this teaching that jesus is the way the truth and the life the tone of this teaching that no one comes to the father except through him the tone is jesus extending his hand to you saying come with me if you want to live so now let's get practical for the last couple minutes and see what this means for us if you're not a christian here this morning we're glad you're here And my invitation to you is simply to keep exploring Jesus. Keep getting to know who he claims to be and who he's revealed to be in the New Testament. You see, if the person and work of Jesus really is that big of a deal, if we're building our lives around here at Brookside, then there's no more important thing you can do than to to roll up your sleeves, do the work, and discover who Jesus is. So spend time reading the Gospels. We've been pointing people again and again in this series to the Gospel of John. If you're looking for a place to start, start there. Find a Christian friend you can interact with and ask questions to. And then do the work of, of seeing how Christianity responds to these questions. And then as you look into Jesus, my, my, my encouragement to you, my, my gentle challenge to you, as you look into Jesus, if you're not a Christian, is, is just remember we can't pick and choose the favorite parts about Jesus that we like and then leave behind the ones we don't like. You see, everybody that I know, Christian or not, resonates with what Jesus said about loving their neighbor, praying for their their enemies. Everybody resonates with that. But then when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, crickets, right? People don't resonate as much. If we're going to approach our study of Jesus with integrity, if I can say it that way, that then we can't pick and choose our favorite parts and just, and just leave behind the rest. You see, Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We can't pick and choose. And so study Jesus. It's my invitation. See where it leads And if Jesus really is Lord of all, he's inviting you into a life-giving relationship with himself. Maybe today is the day you say, I've looked to other things for life. I've not found it there. Maybe today is the day you say, I need to find that in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Simple framework for, for doing that is just to admit that you're a sinner, that you need Jesus trust in his work for you on the cross and then commit to, to following him as your Savior and Lord. You can cross the line today and experience the life and the assurance and the truth that Jesus offers. But I know there's, there's lots of us here, most of us this morning, are already followers of Jesus Christ. What Jesus says in John 14, 6 has a lot to say to us as well. You see, knowing Jesus doesn't just provide key card access into heaven. We need to understand that as followers of Jesus. Jesus is the way, but he's also the truth in the life. And we need to keep all of these things in front of us. So Jesus is the way to know God, but he's also the truth that we need to conform our lives to. And so in Jesus' life and in his teaching, we need to line ourselves up with Jesus as the truth. And then Jesus is the life. We need to look to him for the most thirst-quenching, fully satisfying, fully meaningful sort of life. And we need to stop trying to slip substitutes, even as Christians, in front of Jesus for, for experiencing that life, true life, the way it's designed to be lived is only experienced in Jesus. And then for Christians, what we've seen today, it also adds value and urgency to our mission. You see, our our mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, it's not optional. John 14, 6, I believe is true, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so that means we need to share the gospel because we've seen something in Jesus that we want others to see. So we end again just with Jesus' words in John 14, 6. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. There is nothing that says, Keep out about that. That's an invitation. Instead, inviting every one of us here in either recommitted ways, maybe for the first time, to come to Jesus and find life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus that even in the midst of our sin, Father, on your own initiative, you chose to reach out to us that you, that you never thought, keep out. But instead, you sent Jesus to extend his hand to us, to extend both of his hands on the cross and to die for us. And to see that as him saying, come to me and live. So Jesus, may, may this narrow teaching about Jesus, that he's the only way. May we see that as good. May we see that as valuable. May we find life in Jesus. It's in his his name that we pray. Amen.